Hello and welcome to another episode of the Well Played Podcast. I'm your host, Warren Curtis, and my hair's horrible, so I'm wearing a hat. Today we're talking about Red Dead Redemption returns in a remaster randomly leaked by regulators. The FTC needs better Sharpies, and we are perfectly in the dark about Perfect Dark. But before we get into it, let's talk about what it is we do here on the show. We're here to talk about gaming from a mature adult perspective. What that means is we aren't going to get into console wars we don't wave a fanboy flag and we don't get into petty arguments about gaming and whose plastic box does it better than the other plastic box. None of that really matters. What we will do is talk about facts about games and the gaming industry as a whole. And we'll do it in simple language and give our opinions on why these things matter. We will talk about gaming as an adult as, and as parents. And we'll also talk about the games that we've been playing and the games that our kids have been playing. You can find more from us on YouTube, the link is in the description, and on Twitter by following Amarin Studios, that is A-M-A-R-R-E-N-S-T-U-D-I-O-S. We are available as an audio show on Spotify, Apple, Google, wherever you catch your pods. Be sure to like us, rate us, ring that bell, subscribe, because all of that helps everyone find this show, and we want those comments. We want your feedback, so let's hear it. Give us those comments on YouTube. Uh, send us DMs or tag us and stuff on Twitter, engage with us wherever you want to f- do it. Let's do it. I want to hear it. With all that said, let's get into it. Um, there's lots of news drama again this week. Most of it is probably boring courtroom drama to most, but like last week, there was some neat things that was re- revealed kind of as a result or a side effect of this Microsoft versus uh, FTC trial. And I, I do want to talk about some of the neat things that came out of that. I'll probably do a recap of the courtroom drama stuff on a separate show. I'll do a mini over the weekend and upload that like Monday or Tuesday. Um, So look out for that. If you do like the boring courtroom stuff, Uh, you know, if you don't, that's why I'm skipping it basically is, you know, I'm going to touch on a few of the bullet points, a few of the things that actually matter because I'm seeing lots of news articles from outlets on IGN and things like that, that are saying certain things. And I kind of want to put that into context and boil it down. So it makes a little bit more sense. Anyways, now for the news. First off, it was revealed that some lawyers like to use Sharpie markers to redact certain documents. And uh, apparently that's not the best thing to do because scanners can pick that up, right? And when scanners pick up the ink underneath the, the Sharpie, sometimes it kind of shows up on the document anyways. And that's exactly what happened on, uh, this FTC trial this week. A lot of this was uh, financial information in regards to revenues um, on the PlayStation ecosystem. So it's it's kind of a very specific thing. It was probably one document done by like one set of documents or what have you done by one person and they just didn't push hard enough. Maybe it was a late night, who knows. Um, but for example, it showed that in 2021, over 14 million users on PlayStation um, spent 30% or more of their time playing Call of Duty games. Well over 6 million users spent more than 70% of their time in, a, in a Call of Duty, and approximately 1 million user, users devoted 100% of their gaming time to Call of Duty. 
Meanwhile, during 2021, Call of Duty players as a whole averaged 116 hours of Call of Duty playtime during the year, while those who played 70% or more, so that that 6 million individuals that played 70% of their time playing Call of Duty, um, they had played an average of 296 hours in Call of Duty. Um, so that's kind of an interesting breakdown of how many playtime hours people devote to the, the Call of Duty game. And actually, I'm just having a thought of this right now. What was Call of Duty 2020 was Call of Duty was Black Ops Cold War in 2020. So that wasn't a bad game. And then that should have been Vanguard after that, right? So I know Black Ops Cold War, I say wasn't bad. It, it definitely didn't hit like Modern Warfare did. And... Um, with that in in thought there the so cold war didn't hit as good and then it was vanguard right vanguard flopped um that was the world war one from sledgehammer and it flopped so you know we're not talking about the most stellar year for xbox or sorry for uh for call of duty here and it they still had some pretty impressive numbers really out of that um as far as playtime goes and all this was actually to support evidence that Call of Duty is important to PlayStation as a company, which of course it is. That's like saying gas is important to a car and air is important to people. Um, Call of Duty is the number one IP. It's the best seller, it's best selling game, right? And I say number one IP as in revenues generated from sales. Fortnite doesn't count because it's free to play. Um, but you know, especially when somebody considers like the financial aspects of this, which I'm going to get into in a sec, it really drives home really how big Call of Duty is. Um, and I'm going to talk about that for a second because the same dude or person who used that Sharpie also used the Sharpie on this piece of paper, which talks about the uh, financial side of Call of Duty and the PlayStation relationship. So Call of Duty is worth 800 million million dollars to playstation in the u.s alone uh in 2021 so in a bad year call of duty was worth and 2022 might be a little bit of a worse year because of vanguard but then modern warfare really really hit so be interesting if to compare those two anyways but 800 million dollars in the u.s all by itself for for call of duty um in 2021 well globally it was 1.5 billion dollars for playstation and that's 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 out of the box sales that's not you know dlc that's not any of the extra stuff battle passes and whatnot and all that other bs that is just you know i bought the game right when you factor in all the accessories and subscriptions and things that they can tie to the to call of duty as as a purchase so any of the additional stuff that you would buy as a, as a Call of Duty player. Um, PlayStation made either $13.9 billion or $15.9 billion, depending. We, it, it was redacted, so the, the number is not entirely clear, but it's either a three or a five. Um, and most outlets are saying it's one or the other, and I'm just going to say it's in between. I think that's the responsible thing to do is just say it's one or the other. It could be either one. Let's call it 14. I don't care. Anyways, it's hard to reach read it so we're not sure but either way that's a lot of scratch like really it doesn't matter that two billion dollars doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things that is a huge amount of money it was also talked about a little bit that um 
Sony only has one more Call of Duty game left on their marketing deal with Activision. So I believe this was a 10-year marketing deal. Could be mistaken on that. With with PlayStation and, and Activision for Call of Duty. And what that means is Sony would put this into their showcases and things like that, which is weird. That didn't happen this year. So that's another reason to believe there might be another showcase. Um, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about future Call of Duty in a little bit because there's a bit more of a story later on. Um, and we know that game's, you know, I've reported on it. Other people have reported on it. We know that game's going to be coming this year. So, you know, they have one year left on their on their deal anyways. Um, we also learned a little bit about PlayStation exclusives and uh, kind of how that whole works and that financial relationship and, and budgets and that. Um, in specific, they talked about Horizon Forbidden West and The Last of Us Part Two, um, and their budgets and, and that kind of thing. Horizon Forbidden West cost $212 million over five years with 300 employees. So that that averages out to about 141,000 per employee per year. Okay. And then The Last of Us Part Two cost $220 million with 200 employees over six years. So that averages about 183,000 per employee per year, um, which is a lot of scratch. And got to remember, like, I'm not saying that's how much these employees are making on average. That That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying we have these three, you know, we have this triangle of, uh, of metrics, right, that we can use as a calculation. And what those metrics are is time, total money spent, and amount of individuals involved. So we could say it costs this much per year to make a AAA game, but that might not be entirely right based off this team size. So then, you know, if we divide that by the team size, then we can kind of get an idea on the scope and all that. And what this has indicated to me is, is The Last of Us was a more expensive game to make than Horizon Forbidden West, you know, pound for pound. Um, I want to tie that into probably one major aspect of, the, of that, which is the mocap work. Um, there's significantly more mocap in, involved in The Last of Us. There was a lot more writing and acting done in, in The Last of Us than what there is in uh, in Horizon Forbidden West. Not saying it's it's bad. I'm saying it's done just a little differently the way they do it. There's mocap work. Don't get me wrong, but um, it it's done a little differently in uh, in Horizon as as opposed to The Last of Us. So. You know, that, that kind of gives it a little bit of that could be geographical, you know, uh, um, Naughty Dog being based out of, you know, Southern California, a little bit more pricey uh, market there than than Gorilla Games uh, based in, I believe they're based in Amsterdam. Um, could be a little bit of a different price point there too. Don't know, right? Um, and again, this isn't actually cost per employee. You got to think they got to pay the bills. They got like a budget for making this game. So there's... They got to pay the, the keep the lights on. They got to keep people fed. They got you know all sorts of things, insurance and all that fun stuff to pay for, right? So this is just indicative of of one metric, um, and it, and it doesn't indicate that. But what it does allow us to do, which is why I'm talking about it, really is if we can figure out any of these things because the the gaming industry is so secretive, right? But if you can figure out a budget or a duration or something, it allows us to solve for X, right? It gives us a tool to get a, at least a general idea of what something may cost or what the production time was on it, or maybe how many people they had involved in it. And we can kind of do a calculation for that. 
And I imagine it, this that calculation or that formula would be a lot more accurate for like a Sony thing than it might be for other companies. Don't know. Like until we get, a, you know, a no-clip documentary about every single aspect of, of the gaming industry, I don't think we'll ever really know this stuff. Um, it's not like the movies where they come out and they go, hey, this is how much we spent on things and this is cool. And Tom Cruise got paid $300 bazillion to fly out of a plane face first again or whatever. Right. They don't um, they don't do that in gaming. Right. They like to play everything close to their vest. And when they're ready to show it, they show it and the way they go. So it's a little little different. And as I say, this doesn't indicate what these people are getting paid. I know they're getting paid a lot less than that. Um, you know, your top end is probably in the hundred K range, but it's, it's, you know, your averages are not going to be, you know, 183,000. There's no way that's the average. Cause that means somebody's making way more than that. And as far as people on the ground making the games, they ain't making way more than that. I'll tell you that much. Anyways, it wasn't uh, just Sony who got affected by this. Microsoft accidentally had revealed um, a list of studios that they were looking at acquiring, or maybe are still looking at acquiring. Who knows? Um, you know, around the same time or the, this time frame. And uh, these studios include Ember Lab, who made uh, the Kennebridge of Spirits game, which was a Sony first party or not first party Sony exclusive release. I believe it is coming to game pass eventually, but who knows? Um, but anyways, it's kind of bridge of spirits. Um, the rust, uh, developer face punch moon studios who just dropped, uh, uh, for spoken, which is another, uh, Sony, uh, exclusive haze light, which made, uh, it takes two and a way out. And, and that they're, I, they're not part of EA, but they, uh, I think they had a publishing agreement with EA games for a few games or EA, what was it? EA originals or EA spotlight, something like that. They're, they're indie label anyways. And then Munfish, they just did atomic heart back in February. Um, Sega, if you don't know who, who Sega is, they make, you know, video games. Um, no, uh, obviously Sonic, Yakuza, all that fun stuff. Um, Sega owns Atlas, so Persona and all that as well. Um, and even Square Enix, who is uh, obviously the Final Fantasy company, uh, Dragon Quest and all sorts of things like that. Um, of course, we don't know how serious any of this really is or was, what these considerations were. Um, let's face it, it isn't really uncommon for a company like Microsoft, and it should be actually expected for a company like Microsoft to have an entire team of people whose job is to go, these are acquisition targets and here's all you need to know about them. Like I would, I would assume that at the very least quarterly, probably more often than quarterly, a report comes across every department heads desk at almost every major organization that goes, Hey, here's a list of acquisitions in your respective field. So Phil Spencer, who's the head of Xbox probably gets a spreadsheet and goes, Hey, here's a list of companies you could buy. Here's what we think they're worth. Um, here's what they make. Here's what they do good. Here's what they might need help in. Here's, you know, uh, all that you need to know about them. And, you know, let us know if you need more info. Right. And they just probably do that all the time. Right. It, I don't think that would be a surprise of anyone. I would expect any major corporation to be actively looking at, at acquisitions constantly because it's one extremely successful way of growing. Um, and it's also an important thing to do. Sometimes you need to wrap a technology under your belt or, um, or something like that. Right. So if somebody's doing something that you need to get done, 
and you're having trouble doing it on your own, maybe you hire, or sorry, instead of hiring them, you just buy them and you go, hey, now you can do it for us. Uh, kind of like what Sony did with Bungie. They couldn't make a, a, a games as a service or a live service game really land on their own. So they hired the company that made a very good one and went, you tell us how to do it and you, you, you help us out with it. And I think that's a, a great way of doing these things. Um, so, you know, it's not, I'm not sitting here saying that Microsoft is acquisition hungry. What I'm saying is, is it's expected of these major corporations to do this. And these are the ones that they were looking at. Um, in news, not from a trial. So back to regular stuff here. Um, IGN did an interview with uh, some folks, about 13 folks that are involved in or have been involved in some way with Perfect Dark, which is Xbox Game Studios' first party game. Perfect Dark being a rare, um, rare limited uh, IP um, that's being developed by the initiative, which is their quote unquote quadruple A uh, first party game, their first party studio. Um, Anyways, and these people have been involved in this game in some way, shape, or form uh, since since the project started. And we've learned that the game is about two to three years out, which I think is about right. Um, I was leaning more towards two. Um, at least more recently, I was leaning more towards two. So that seems about right. Um, I think initially, this, this game was announced back in 2020, I want to say. Um, you know, when we launched the Xbox, when we launched the PS5 and all that stuff. They did a show and go, this is why you need to go buy these things, right? Like they did their big summer show. Their, the last hurrah of E3 was that year. And uh, and they did this big show and went, these are all the games that are coming. Aren't they shiny? And they showed off all these things. And this was one of them. This got a little tiny teaser trailer. Um, it was all CG uh, pre-rendered. It wasn't even in-game anything. It was just a concept trailer to go, we're making this. Get excited for it. PS, come work for us. And... Uh, and at that time, I felt like, okay, so if they're they're starting up, they're hiring, they got a they got a concept ready, they got something ready as far as what they want to do, um, and maybe some stuff done in the way that they're going to do it. So they're going to spin up a team and get going on it. So I figured, twenty twenty four, maybe twenty twenty five, but probably twenty twenty four. Of course, at that time, I didn't know the pandemic was going to be as disruptive as it was to the industry as it had been. Um, and most journalists, I think were in the same boat as me when it came to that. Um, and you know, that, that kind of goes with all their other games, like avowed, for example, I pretty sure was supposed to come this year. Hellblade two was probably supposed to come this year, just like Starfield was supposed to come last year and so on and so forth. Right. So everything's been kind of pushed back, you know, six, eight, 10, maybe 12 months, depending on, you know, Hey, we need to give this project a little bit more room. So that none of that really surprises me um and there's been a lot of turnover at uh at the initiative which also doesn't surprise me a lot of people went oh it's it's horrible the game's doomed because of all this turnover um it's it's a new startup right it may be owned by microsoft but it's still it still has the same growing pains as any other startup and one of those growing pains is learning that you don't have the same workplace chemistry as somebody else and when you're talking you know department heads and uh you know team leaders and things like that across this whole project right you have to have a cohesive uh creative vision for something right everybody has to be working towards the same goal or otherwise you get a hot mess like redfall and they they don't want things like that this is supposed to be quadruple a this is supposed to be the best of the best the better than anything we've ever seen so with that in mind um you know 
people obviously go, hey, uh, you know, things aren't working out. I'm going to move on. You know, I'm going to go get a job over here at this other studio and, and you know, do something else or doing, do something more quantifiable. And that's totally fair and totally understandable, in my opinion. Um, so uh, at the time um, that that was happening at the beginning of this, Certain Affinity was getting the game off the ground and they were helping out with the initiative. And Certain Affinity is a, they're a support studio in aspects. They, they make a lot of games with other people or with other people's IP. Um, and right now they're working with 343 Studios making a game set in the Halo universe, which um, I have strong reasons to believe is a Halo Battle Royale game. And I believe it's made in Unreal and not in the Slipspace engine, but don't know. I don't know if it's going to have a separate launcher. I'm just going off of reporting that I've read. Um, to me, it would be weird for it to be made in in Unreal 5 and not slip space if they're going to use the same launcher, but who knows. Anyways, um, so Certain Affinity was helping out with that, and now, we, as we've known for a couple of years now, that uh, Crystal, Dyna uh, Crystal Dynamics have been helping out and co-developing the game. Now, Crystal Dynamics, uh, they were part of Square Enix when Square Enix sold off all their Western studios to the Embracer Group for a Big Mac and some change. Um, Crystal Dynamics, they, they just came off of, what was it? Guardians of the Galaxy. They made the Guardians of the Galaxy game, which is actually phenomenally good and criminally underrated, so go play that. Um, they made that. Of course, they have experience with, you know, Deuce X and, and uh, Tomb Raider and all that other stuff as well. They've been making games in Unreal for a while. Even though this is Unreal 5, uh, a lot of the same logic and tools kind of transfer over, so it, it's fair enough there. Um, and, and I think they're probably doing a lot more of the heavy lifting while the people of the initiative are writing things down and and helping out when they can, but probably doing more learning. Um, we'll see. You know, I really liked Perfect Dark back in the day. It was a very fun game. I have not played... Uh, what was it? It was... I think it's on Game Pass, actually. It was like Perfect Dark like Xbox One game or something. Hmm. I have not played that. I, I'm remembering Perfect Dark on the N64, which was stupid fun. Anyways, um, so, you know, let's see how that comes around, if, if it's going to be the, the game-breaking thing that it was supposed to be. Oh, bad pun. Anyways, uh, speaking of game-breaking games, now, um, speaking of actually amazing IP, is Forza Horizon 5. Uh, Forza Horizon 5 got two new cars from the Barbie movie this week. Um, anybody want to guess which ones? <laughs> a 1956, wait for it, Chevy Corvette. And uh, who drove it? Barbie, obviously. And we got Ken's uh, electric Hummer truck, which is a, a brand new Hummer truck EV that GM's trying to market. So, of course, they're going to put it everywhere. Um, it it's got kind of a cool livery on it anyways. Um, both vehicles, I believe, were available in the game in other forms before, but now we have the Barbie versions, which is a unique thing, I guess. And this is obviously part of a marketing deal with the movie that's coming out, what, next week or something like that? Soon. Um, there's also a contest where they're giving away, I believe, 10 or 12 uh, custom Barbie dolls that are wearing the Xbox clothes, which is, again, interesting. 
Um, probably a good thing for some collectors to get their hands on eventually. They'll probably sell for a bazillion dollars at an auction to some weirdo that has a room full of Barbies. And uh, not to disparage weirdos that have rooms full of bar Barbies, but, you know, not my bag. And they also have a, a very custom, very limited edition, single Barbie Xbox Series uh, uh, Xbox Series S. So, you know, how custom is that? Well, it's Barbie pink. Anyways, it's um it's all part of this cross promotion for that. Um other movies that could get cross promoted that would be really cool, Indiana Jones and Oppenheimer and oh we could have an Oppenheimer bomb that we have to drive away from in Forza Rise Five. It'd be kinda like a battle royale in reverse. I'm onto something. I'm trademarking that, don't take it. Anyways, um here's our lead lead off story, the story I opened up uh, the show with. Red Dead Re Ma uh, Red Dead Redemption Remaster. I said it perfectly in the opening, and I just botched it here. Red Dead Redemption Remaster could be coming soon. Uh, this is according to the Korean ratings board, which just reviewed a copy of the game, including expansions for console releases. Um, why is that important? Well, the Korean ratings board leaks stuff all the time, and it's not really a leak. They just publish things on their website. They don't care. If you've announced it or not announced it, they don't care. They just put it on their website. It's public information as far as they're, as far as they're concerned. And uh, so they just publish it. And now, according to their coding system, which they have, like they give a letter code to whether it's a PC game, mobile game, or a console game, this is a console game. So it's not the PC release that everybody had been waiting for for a long time. It is just a console game. Now, it could be just a Switch port. But I have doubts that you would go through the effort of making this thing run on a switch and not make it run on modern hardware at the same time. So it's bundled with the expansions. It's ready to roll as far as that goes. You know, it's past ratings, so it has to be content complete as far as that is concerned. Um, maybe we get something this holiday in Red Dead Redemption, which would be good. I think a lot of people should go back to that. That first game was really special. The second game being a prequel to the first game. Um, made it super special if you're a fan. So if you thought it was good not knowing what happened next, it's really good when you know what happens next. So it's kind of really cool to see one and then two and then go back to one again. I think that that'd be kind of a neat thing. Um, as usual, Rockstar just shuts up about this stuff. They don't talk about it. Uh, and there's so there's no news out of them. I don't really see anywhere they could announce this that would be logical. Um, it's kind of hard to talk about with that, but you can't really, uh, sorry, I think I had a kid at the door. Um, you can't really talk about anything at a rock star without talking about the big one, which is GTA six. And I'm not a hundred percent sure they're ready to do anything with GTA six publicly yet. So I think maybe they just tweet, you know, Red Dead Redemption remaster comes out October 30th. I'm just making a date up. Don't quote me on any of that. But I think they just make a tweet and six days later it drops and away they go. Probably more likely than not that that's what they do. Um, anyways, that kind of wraps up that part of the news. Um, I did want to talk a little bit more about uh, this trial coverage. Um, as I said, I'm just bullet pointing this stuff. Uh, I don't want to really deep dive it in here and I'm going to do a mini uh, later on. Um, and then upload it at the beginning of the week sometime where I will really get into all the kind of law and order bullshit that's going on here. Um, but I do want to touch on a couple kind of uh, important aspects of this. And 
and that's just to put things in context so everybody kind of understands what they're seeing on on these news articles and things like that because the headlines are sensational and i i i'm guilty of doing sensational headlines but i do absurdly and sensational headlines because i think they're funny that's a little bit of a different thing than just doing clickbait right so anyways talk about that for a brief moment anyways i do want to st uh, stress what all this is about the ftc is looking for a preventative injunction this isn't a an approval from the ftc to buy for for the deal to close that is not required. Now, under American law, all mergers are okay until they're not okay. And it's up to the FTC or the Department of Justice, both of them have uh, competition powers to determine whether it's okay or not. The Department of Justice usually rules on things that are relevant to national security and things like that. Um, but they're, they're both fully interchangeable, right? They can, they can step on each other's toes or oversee other sides of, of it. It doesn't have to be uh, security related in order for the DOJ to get involved. Um, I don't know how they do it. Maybe they draw straws, who knows? Uh, but anyways, in this case specifically, um, it, it's, it's about this, this injunction, this preliminary, or sorry, a preventative injunction. And what that is, is a preventative injunction is kind of like a, a, a long-term restraining order. And it basically says that Microsoft can't close this deal with Activision for X amount of time. In this case, I think they're looking for three years while they further investigate, which I think is absurd. Pretty much everybody I've talked to thinks it's absurd. Um, journalists, lawyers, um, Wall Street spectators, you know, the these people that are actually hedging bets on this kind of stuff, big money bets on this kind of stuff, think that is absurd. And why is that absurd? Because it's tech. And, and it, it's gaming industry is a tech business. It's a, it's a tech industry, right? Um, and things move astonishingly fast in tech. Think about the last three years, what has happened in tech that you're aware of. You know, you could look at NFTs. It's probably the most alarmingly loud example of this. In the last three years, NFTs went from a new thing to being a thing to not being a thing anymore, right? It went from the thing that, okay, what are we talking about here? To, oh my God, they're still talking about NFTs. To, holy shit, he won't shut up about NFTs. To now it's actually kind of a sad joke. And it's like a car crash. You, oh, oh, what are we looking at here? It's an NFT. Um, so things move really quick in tech. You know, look at AI. Look at what's happened with AI in the last six months. AI's doing, went from doing uh, basic BS work behind the scenes to now being a very important part of some industries. I think it's a dumb thing as far as it goes. I think it's a, it's a fun toy, but I think it's a bad idea to have it involved in such important things like doing journalism and things like that. Um, I think it's wrong and uh, for that. And I don't think it should be taken away anybody's actual job. I think it should just be utilized to make jobs easier. Anyways, that's old man yelling at a cloud thing. Anyways, uh, think about what is going to happen in the next three years. In three years' time, we're going to be on the eve of a new console generation, I think, and a lot of people speculating it's next console generation is going to be 2027 sometime. Um, unless there's some sort of rapid advancement on, on chip architecture or something like that that is happening at the same time and they want to delay it so they can meet up with that, 
I think, and let's face it, that's not going to happen because X86 is been here for how long? It's not going to change in the next three years, I don't think. Um, but anyways, uh, you know, dawn of a new new age of, of consoles in three years. You know, we're, people are still trying to get their hands on an Xbox Series X or PS5. And we're already looking at what the next ones are going to be like in three years' time. Um, new Elder Scrolls game could very well be out or be coming out in three years, uh, which is nuts, right? Starfield hasn't even come out yet, and we're talking in, in th three years' time, right, which is 2026, um, could be a new Elder Scrolls game. We've had a few dates leaked as a result of this trial. One Microsoft lawyer said 2026. Other ones said, you know, 2027. Um, Phil Spencer said it's about five years out. So there's a window there, but it, it could be in our hands. Um, and the whole industry could be vastly different. You know, uh, VR could be a huge thing, could be nothing. Uh, subscription services could be a big thing. They could be nothing. Microtransactions could go straight to hell. Who knows what's going to happen in three years, right? So the point is, is the deal would be dead. Right. And that's really what the FTC is banking on here is, is killing the deal without having to kill the deal. Right. They're hoping for somebody to go, well, we're not dealing with this for three more years and walking away, which would probably be Activision doing. Um, the deal uh, is scheduled to be completed in, in a couple weeks. So I highly suspect that if for some reason the FTC does get a PI, this uh, preventative injunction, that Activision will just take the $3 billion that Microsoft owes them and go, hey, Tencent, want to buy us? And then Tencent will go, yeah, sure, we will just go to the Chinese government, which happens to be our largest stakeholder, and get them to print off, what, $70 billion, and we'll just send it over to you. That sounds good. And we get one of the most renowned publishers of games that is currently American-owned and based being operated out of Beijing. And I don't understand how that's any better for anyone at all. I don't think it is better than for anyone at all. I think that's actually fundamentally worse for a lot of people. So anyways, moving on from that little aspect of it, though, um, there's a burden of proof here, right? That's, that's what all that was to say is that there is a burden of proof on the FTC to specifically illustrate how this is bad. Um, most more specifically, they have to prove that this merger would be bad for consumers and that it would severely hurt the industry. The key words there are would be bad and would severely hurt. Notably, I did not say could or may. They must demonstrate exactly how this is bad, not that it may be bad, not that it could be bad, not that it could have the potential to maybe turn bad. They have to say that it is fundamentally actually going to be bad for either the consumer or the industry. And they have to demonstrate monop uh, monopolistic practices or capability out of this, which there just, there isn't. It's a vertical integration merger. There isn't any monopolistic practices. We're not talking about Coke buying Pepsi, right? We're talking about, you know, Ford buying a production factory, essentially. Like if, if you want to talk in terms of another industry, imagine Ford, one of the world's largest vehicle manufacturers going, you know what we need, another truck plant. GM has an old truck plant over here. We're going to buy it, right? That makes, that that's exactly what's happening. They're just going to buy it and churn out more of their, the same stuff that they've been making. 
which is exactly what Microsoft's doing with Activision. They're going to buy it and churn out more games. That's all they're going to do. Um, you, you aren't being forced to buy games from anybody. You could go to any other place and buy games. You're not being forced to buy games on a platform, on a specific platform. You can go, you go to the store. They have the same games on most platforms, right? And a little bit about that is, is like, if you look at all the games that are available on platforms, right? Uh, if you look at all your multi-platform games, so games that are available on multiple platforms, like eight of the top 10 best-selling ones are available on all three platforms. So really, you know, you exclude Call of Duty out of that, and how's that bad for the consumer? I just don't understand that. So even if you do what they say is going to happen, it's not bad. Really. Um, third part of uh, why I think it's uh, this is total and utter BS is all their concerns have actually already been addressed, right? They've been addressed by deals and contracts reached with absolutely every single major and even to some extent minor stakeholder involved in the industry, except for Sony and by extreme caveat steam. And the caveat with steam is the steam didn't want to sign the deal because they didn't feel they needed to. They said they trust Microsoft's word and putting it on a contract would be insulting, right? What they really mean by that is Steam is the preferred platform to buy things on on the PC, and you'd be a complete and utter idiot to delist something from Steam. So, you know, good luck to you if you do that. But, you know, the way they put it was way more eloquent and nicer than that. That's what they meant. Um, and Sony didn't sign it because they were hoping to get a better deal out of the FTC. That's really all it is. Um the FTC doesn't really want these contracts to be considered because it ruins their entire argument, right? So, you know, they're saying, oh, well, you know, that you got to exclude that because we didn't mandate that. And that's basically saying, you know, we aren't getting credit for it. We don't want to have anything to do with it. Um, the real point here of all that is, is that the only vulnerable industry stakeholder that could potentially lose revenue as a result of this merger is the largest industry stakeholder. Right, they have the means and the methods to adapt if they were somehow somehow withheld Call of Duty, um, which they won't be. At the end of the day, and what are those means? Bungie. I just was talking about them from a minute ago, right? Sony went out and bought Bungie to make live service multiplayer games. What what what's Call of Duty again? A live service multiplayer game. Oh, first person shooter. What did Bungie make? Halo and Destiny which are both multiplayer first-person shooter games. So, yeah, I think they maybe have somebody that they go, hey, dude, we need one of these real quick. And they might be able to churn something out, you know, or at least help uh, produce one, you know, help another studio and direct them on how to do that, right? All it takes is investment in your technology and in your ability, right? Now, I'm not saying Microsoft can do that too. Microsoft could very well do that, Right. The difference here is this is an opportunity for growth and, and it's an opportunity to, to do something. And if they're doing a virtual integration with Microsoft and they're holding, or sorry, with ABK, and they're holding ABK separately, right, what is the harm to anybody, right? If they're holding it separately, they can be ordered to divest it later, right? So it, it's, it's silly. And at the end of the day, this is really all about getting a foothold into the uh, mobile market, really. They could care less about what happens to Call of Duty. They'll say, oh, yeah, we'll put it on toaster ovens and, and wall uh, uh, refrigerator TVs and whatever you want. You want to play it on a, on a 
1996 uh, Tamagotchi? Sure, we'll figure that out. We'll get right on that. Like, they, they, they want King. They want the Candy Crush magic is what they're after, right? And that's, you know, where many analysts predict that more money is going to be spent in gaming than in any other sector. And I think that they're probably right because, as has been said numerous times, everybody's got a phone, right? Anyways, um, consumers aren't really going to be hurt at all in this situation. doesn't really matter which way it goes about it. And even if Microsoft does what they have said that they won't do, what they've uh, put in, into contracts and legal agreements that they won't do, what they swore on the stand under oath, under threat of perjury that they won't do, which is foreclose Sony out of Call of Duty, the vast majority of gamers have access to another device that plays it, or will play it, be that an Xbox, a phone, a PC, or a Nintendo something or other, or a cloud device, right? We, most of us have multiple devices, right? That can play these kind of things. So I really don't see why it matters with that. Um, that basically eliminates the Call of Duty foreclosure angle, which is what they ran with. And that's their fault for running with it, right? But that's that's what they ran with. That's what they're presenting as their case. So. You know, that pretty much ends it. Um, every single other regulator, including the CMA, which is the only other regulator to actually truly object to this merger, um, they didn't even run with the Call of Duty foreclosure angle because they knew it was a lost cause. They knew it had been addressed. So what's the point in doing it? Um, when I say really the only other one, Canada did file a letter that they wanted entered into the record during this trial that said that we think it could be bad, but we're going to wait to see how this shakes out. Um, being a Canadian, I can assure you that is the most Canadian way to say, uh, whatever you do is fine by me. Yeah, cool. Um, the next uh, theory of harm after this, this Call of Duty foreclosure aspect is how it's going to affect the gaming market, which it won't because of all the things I just said above. You can get all these devices or all these games on all these different devices. And that's, that's the gaming market. Um, but the FTC is choosing to ignore the fact that Nintendo exists and PCs are a thing. So, which is completely absurd. I don't know how you can exclude Nintendo and PCs from a gaming discussion, but they're, they're trying to make what is they're calling a high end console market, which again, does not exist. It simply doesn't exist. You go, I said this last week, you go into Walmart or Best Buy or Target or whatever you got near you that sells this kind of stuff, if they even have stuff anymore. But anyways, point is you go into a place and you have a shelf, right? And you got your Nintendo Switches and you got your Xbox Series S's and X's and you got your PS5's, right? And you go, ah, I want to play games. And you look on the shelves and most of all the games are the same except for the odd individual exclusive. Right, so you just go. I like this one. This one's the right price. Or I, you know, for me, I love the 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 handheld form factor of the Switch. So I buy one of those. But I also like sitting on my couch and playing high def games. So I buy a PS Five. And I, you know, I I like playing Halo and things like that. So I got a Series X. Um, and then you know, it snowball from there to Series S's and all that other stuff too. So, anyways, but like the point is, is most people that aren't insane like me have one or two of these things in their house. And most people have a PC anyways, right? You know, I, I have a PC for, for making content. I have a PC that, that I use for consuming content, right? Um, and doing things like this. 
and most people just have one, you know, I, I do it for work and uh, in case I got to write an email to my grandmother and uh, the odd thing, right. You know, to organize my family photo collection, but you know, if Call of Duty is not going to be available on my, my PlayStation, I'll just play it on this thing. Then instead I can hook up a controller and play it the exact same way. Right. So, you know, it's really kind of hard to establish that theory of harm affecting the, uh, the, the, the market at all. And then you do something absurd, like try to exclude Nintendo, which by the way, like we wouldn't have a console gaming market without Nintendo. Like I know we had the Atari before that, right? But Nintendo really made it consumer friendly and drove it home, right? Now they did that almost, well, 40 years ago, oh, fuck. Um, but you know, they, they still did it and that's the point, right? Um, and to exclude them from that is is pretty weird, especially since they're still here, still making games that sell like hotcakes. Like, look at Tears of the Kingdom. Uh, this is a story I didn't put in here. Um, but Tears of the Kingdom sales numbers just came out. And basically, Tears of the Kingdom, and we only have physical sales. We don't have digital sales of Tears of the Kingdom. They don't. Ne Nintendo never releases digital sales numbers. Um, so physical only. So in a box from a store sales numbers of tears of the kingdom is second only to what was it hogwarts legacy i think it was anyways they have already sold an insurmountable amount of copies of this game and you're not even factoring the fact that probably 75 percent of the people bought it digitally like that's nuts this thing is huge it probably sold 60 million copies by now i would think like it's insane um and you're going to say, no, they don't count? <laughs> like, that's absurd. That is absolutely absurd. And with, you know, NVIDIA technology and things like that, you, you don't need a high-end PC to experience good quality gaming on your PC. Like, let's face it. Your DLSS and, and FSR and all these other tools that these developers can utilize, you can get a, a game running pretty decently on a normal everyday PC. And then you run into cloud gaming technology, you can even do that too, which is kind of where I'm going to go to next because the next part of this is the cloud gaming market, which for some reason they're considering a separate market, which it again isn't. It's just another way of consuming content. There's there's other two more arguments. So I'm not really going to talk about them too much but because they're boring, but they basically have to do with how we pay for things. And they're considering like games as a, or game services like Game Pass as a different market than retail, which it isn't. It's just, it's that's like saying going to the movies is a different market than renting a movie or renting a movie is more actually more accurately going to Walmart and buying a movie is different than having Netflix. Well, like it's different in how I get my content delivered, but I'm still, I could go to Walmart and buy a movie or I could stream that same movie on Netflix or prime or whatever it is, whoever's got the rights. And that's all that, this is about is who's getting the rights like who gets paid right it's 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 absolutely silly anyways um with with cloud gaming it's really hard to nail that down because as i just said it's really not its own market um it competes you know google took the stand and said our biggest competitor was playstation xbox and nintendo and they're saying this saying you know from the point standpoint of stadia right so how how is that a separate market if the biggest competitor is people in that market right like it's it's not a 
different markets, same. And another way of looking at this is you go down the, the pop aisle at your grocery store, soda aisle for you Americans, and you have, you know, your Coke and your Pepsi section, and you have your, your store brand, right? So like for us up here, you would have your PC colas and your, our compliments, whatever's and our finest, whatever's right. Um, I don't know what house brands are in the States, like what retailers have their own brands, but basically house brand stuff. Um, that that's not a different market. Like if I'm going in there for a pop, right. I'm going to get the better deal for my pop. If it doesn't matter to me, but if I want a Coke, I'm going to buy a Coke, right? If I want a Dr. Pepper, I'm going to buy a Dr. Pepper. Right. So like, it's, it's not a different market. It's just, it's flavors, it's choices. Right. And that's exactly what these things are is delivery methods and choices. Right. Uh, if I had my Coke delivered to me, my, my Coca-Cola product delivered to me from the grocery store to my house by, oh, I don't know, Instacart or another service that does this thing. Does that make that not compete with Pepsi all of a sudden? No. So why does it matter if I'm getting it streamed to my house or if I'm going to the store and buying the game or going online to the online store and buying the game it, or I subscribe to a service that lets me choose this and many other games. It, it, it doesn't make any sense to me at all. And it's the only kind of sticky part of the deal because I don't think the court and the FTC and even to the extent the, the stakeholders in the industry really understand what the cloud gaming market is yet because it, it isn't really evolved yet it's its own little kind of weird thing but it is essentially just an extension of the regular gaming market um so i think you know by the same logic that everything else gets beat because they failed to establish a, a um their theory of harm on the uh, console gaming market quote unquote the high-end console gaming market and the theory of harm on the call of duty foreclosure Right, the same logic kind of applies to this, and I don't think they're going to get beat there. And then you have, as I said, the, the the streaming services and how they get paid market, which is fucking weird because me as a consumer, I don't care how the publisher gets paid for the game or the developer. It's just I pay sixty bucks for the game, and they get and they get money somehow by wizards. I don't care. It, right, like I care that people get paid, but at the end of the day, it's it's that isn't my relationship. My relationship is I'm buying the game, right. So yet again, I go to the grocery store and buy that case of Coke. I don't really care how the guy at the factory gets paid. As long as somebody's getting paid for it, that's all that matters, right? You know, that that's it's that's there's no ethical consumption over in capitalism at the end of the day. And this is just lesson one of that, right? This is capitalism. That's how business works. I give you money, you give me stuff. Right? How that stuff gets delivered and all that is just chosen by the the agreement between you and me right um kind of circling back to that call of duty thing as the judge pointed out and i've reported in the past there's a new call of duty title coming and i've said in the past it's coming this november she said it's coming this november it hasn't officially been announced for november but it's coming this november she said it she was reading it off of a, a document so one can only assume that that was a disclosed document that uh she was it just had a slip up and, and made a mistake, which honestly happens, right? And it's very easy to do. And something that far, that close in release window doesn't seem to make a big difference um, that she let it slip or not. Like everybody could probably, you know, do the math and go, it's coming this year. It's coming this November, 
more than likely because they always do it in the first couple weeks in November. Um, they want to get it out before that Black Friday rush and it helps move consoles and things like that. So there's going to be an agreement there for that, for sure. Um, but related to that, there's still this Sony marketing deal on that game, right? So this whole preliminary injunction is basically moot as far as needing to be injuncted, if you will, <laughs> preventative injunction, rather, uh, is is totally moot on needing to happen because um, it, it's not going to change the landscape in the near future, right? Microsoft closes this ABK acquisition. They Sony sells the marketing deal for the next Call of Duty game, and then they have a whole year to go. Hey, maybe we need to iron out, you know, how this happens and come to a better agreement. But they can do that still after it closes, as I said, because they're holding it as a separate thing. It's vertically integrated as a separate asset. That's what they did with Bethesda. That's what or Zenimax, which is Bethesda's parent company. That's what they're going to do here, right? Because it makes it easier to divest down the road whether divested by force or divested because, you know, hey, we're going to sell it to you or whoever, right? That's how they do these things. And a little bit about that Call of Duty thing, as I said, I thought it was a little weird that they haven't announced it yet. Um, it's being made by Sledgehammer. They did have a fair bit of trouble with Vanguard. I'm wondering if there isn't going to be a little bit of um, an effort to make sure it gets released a little quicker there um, or a little better condition there. So maybe they're just holding off on showing anything off because of that who knows i don't know for sure but anyways that's all why i think the fdc in my opinion doesn't meet the standard of the burden of proof for their own case and in order to get a preventative injunction they they have to demonstrate that microsoft closing the deal would a cause irreparable harm to the gaming space by harming consumers and eliminating competition and could not be solved by remedies undertaken by microsoft and they haven't been able to prove that, you know, there's remedies. Um, where's the harm? And there's been remedies to address any concerns about potential harm. So again, I don't, I don't see how this is. And I'm not an Xbox fanboy. I'm not an Activision fanboy. I'm not a PlayStation fanboy. I'm not, I'm a fanboy of games. I'll go that far. Right. So I, this is just somebody being an activist regulatory body getting away with things that they shouldn't be getting away with, in my opinion. And that's bad for business. <coughs> Excuse me. As I said, I'm going to go more in depth in this. You can probably tell it excites me a bit. Um, so I'm going to go more into depth of this on a mini and uh, I'll just put it all in one spot. So it's all nice, nice and neat and tidy. And it doesn't bore everyone here with that. I've spent too long on this already, so I'm just going to move on. But this is the stuff I felt was important to bullet point and kind of talk about here. All right, so basically, just give me a sec here. Tickle in the throat. Anyways, uh, so that about does it for the news. Um, I wanted to talk about the summer break. You know, our kids are out of school, and I, mine finished up yesterday. Uh, maybe you have a summer vacation planned, or maybe you aren't like us. I'm kind of tied to being around home uh, mostly, so we have some fun things planned here and there, but, you know, I'm not going to road trip across the country or anything. Um, so how do we manage you know, game and screen time with the kids now that there isn't really a, a need for strict bedtimes, right? Because there's no homework. There's no, you know, we got to get up for the bus or got to take you to school at this time or anything like that. Well, here 
at least. Uh, we, we tend to manage these things somewhat consistently around. Um, we dedicate a, a specific amount of time uh, to their tablets and YouTube per day. I kind of talked a little bit about that before. And that threshold doesn't really change at all unless there's some underlying circumstance. Like an extended road trip is a good example, you know, right? You're hiking across the country. Maybe we just unlock the tablet and let them, you know, spend a little bit more time playing their games or something while we're driving. They're going to be bored, right? You know, just because I grew up bored counting trees and, and identifying cars by the shape of their headlights from five miles away doesn't mean that they need to be able to do that. Um, and a good example of this is like last fall, um, I took my youngest uh, five-year-old, she was four at the time, uh, took her to the hospital and I unlocked her tablet uh, for the entire time that we were there. Because, you know, that way she could take stay occupied um, and distracted. She was sick, very sick. Um, hence why we went to the hospital and not, you know, just to a clinic or something. She was very sick. She needed care. And they were caring for her. They were doing a good job with it. She had a fever they needed to bring down and several other things they were doing. And and the important part of that is just to sit there and rest and not be anxious. So, you know, here's a popsicle to help cool down and lay down there and, and play your tablet for a little bit. And when they come back around and check your temperature, we'll see how it goes. Right. And that was the best thing we could do really for her at that time. And and unlocking the tablet, hooking up to the Wi-Fi. She could play games, watch a little bit of YouTube. It was it was good for her in that situation. Um, I'm a believer that there can't be hard limits in certain situations, really. Um, you know, everything has a limit and that includes limits, having a limit. And that was kind of one of them. You know, uh, there's obviously plenty of other ones. You've got to use your own judgment as a parent, what those things are. But um, when it comes to gaming itself, uh, I, I look at it a little bit differently. And I think I might do this a little bit differently than most parents probably do. Um, and I say I, myself and my wife, uh, both uh, read on the same page on this kind of stuff. Um, which is also incredibly important. We'll talk a bit about that. But uh, the kids, uh, they're five and eight, by the way. They tend to like to play together quite a bit on when they're playing video games. Um, so I don't mind them doing that for quite a bit of time because they're playing together. They are... They're working together, right? That's a big thing. You know, teamwork, working together, compromise, um, that kind of stuff. Uh, it's fun for them. It's memories, right? You know, sitting there playing with my big sister doing this, right? It's fun stuff. And they're getting along. Most importantly, they're getting along. They're not ripping each other's hair out. Hopefully, you know, <laughs> there's no pillow cage matches happening in there, right? So why ruin it, right? If they're getting along, why ruin it? Uh, when they play on the games apart, again, there's a couple different goalposts here that I'm I'm kind of aiming for, but um, I try to limit them to a couple of hours of a day in game time. Uh, but I may modify that kind of depending on what's happening, what they're playing, what what the vibe is there. Um, first off, we're in no Roblox house. That is about the only like hard thing I've decided as as a parent. Um, and that, that did come from me after doing a lot of research into how microtransactions are presented in the game and how the chat functions are in the game. And I know I can control a lot of that stuff, but there's certain things that I can't, and I'm not happy with that. So anyways, I'm just, I don't want there to be a, a FOMO, a fear of missing out of certain things. So there's just no fear because it just doesn't exist as far as they're concerned, which I think is almost a little bit better. Anyways, and I think that's part of the success because I've talked to some other parents that have had, you know, nightmare situations with Roblox. 
specifically. Um, it, it triggers that gambling addiction kind of thing that some people get, right? But it's doing it to kids, and I, I just don't think that's right. Anyways, uh, the youngest game, uh, or the youngest likes to game a, a fair bit on uh, on Mario games, actually. So she also plays like the Paw Patrol platformers, but mostly it's 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 uh, Mario games. Uh, sometimes she goes for one of her older sister's games as well. But um, you know, for the most part, she's just she's still learning, right? So she plays like she plays through the the two D Mario games, the new Super Mario Brothers one, for example. Um, plays through that on as I think it's Toad. It doesn't follow her. It might be, might be the princess. I can't remember. Toadette. That's who it is. Toadette doesn't fall, right? So just play through as Toadette and learns the timing. That's the big thing. It's learning the timing in a Mario game, right? Or any platformer, really. So, and and the Paw Patrol games do a really good job of of helping you do that and understand that as well. And it, as well, they're 3D usually, so they they're 3D and 2D. There's depending on the level. Um, but it gets you running the camera too, which is also a skill set, right? Um, the the oldest one uh, has some different games to play, and she likes playing uh, Spirit's Lucky's uh, Spirit Lucky's Big Adventure, which is I call it Grand Theft Pony. It's not really Grand Theft Pony, but it's an open world exploration game, like a Grand Theft Auto. Uh, it was kind of some map clearing and action elements. I'm not talking like you know scary things or anything action definitely action-based, but kind of, um, it's basically like watching an episode of their show with, you know, button pushing, right? Um, and puzzle solving and things like that. You know, you have to get an apple out of a tree, so you got to move a box over to the tree so you can climb that box to get up to the branch to get the apple out of the tree, things like that. Um, and uh, she also likes to play the, uh, what's it called? It's a How to Train Your, train your Dragon game. Uh, she's really much into that series. Uh, Dawn of the New Riders, that's what it is. And uh, it's a Zelda game. Essentially, it just looks a little different than a Zelda game. You know, you're not playing as Link or whatever. You're playing Stitch, I think, is the character's name. Scratch? Might be Scratch. Um, anyways, I, I I actually played through the game. It was super fun. Um, it, it's a Zelda game, but it's a little lighter than most Zelda games would be. Uh, so it's got a little bit of a lighter easing into it. It's like a it's like a Zelda light, if you will. Um, both of them, both of the kids, they dabble in other games as well. Like sometimes uh, my oldest wants to play like Forza Horizon and, and drift and and drive around Mexico or whatever. And she's quite good at that. She's three-starred several zones actually on me now. So that's funny um, how good she is at drifting. <laughs> Anyways, um, and that's basically though where they spend most of their time gaming is in kind of these two little quadrants. Um, and, and, and if uh, one of them seems to be having a good time doing it and their time is kind of up, I'm just going to let it go for a little bit. Like you're not going to break their screen time up, you know, for no need. Right. Um, if, if they're enjoying it and having a really good time and they're really into it, you know, I, I still impose the limits at bedtime. I think that's very important. But honestly, it's it's really never been an issue um, with either one of them yet, and I haven't had to drop the hammer. So, you know, I think maybe I might just be lucky in that aspect. But um, I find they get enough of their time elsewhere that, that when it comes to a bedtime thing or something, it's usually not an argument. At least when it comes to that, there's plenty of other arguments that happen about bedtime. Um, 
I found kind of the most important part of this is to be consistent and be predictable, right? Your kid needs to know the results of what you're deciding. And I'm not trying to tell you how to be a parent, but um, what I've learned in my experience and what my wife and I have always kind of mandated about how we each other uh, govern when it comes to our children is to be consistent and be predictable. So they know what to expect when things are happening. So this is the cause, this is the effect. This is what's going to happen. Um, so that's why we're, uh, you know, we, we keep it kind of standard throughout the year. Just because there's no school doesn't mean you get to go, you know, crazy. But, you know, we do lax a little bit, you know, and we do it in ways that are kind of like, oh, daddy's not paying attention. I'm going to get away with doing this for a little bit longer or what have you, right? So we do it in ways that they think they're getting away with it. Um, tablet and screen time boundaries pretty much are the same, right, as to say. Um, they don't, you know, I'm not going to stop them in the middle of something, school year or not school year, unless it's 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 a hard time to go to bed. Like, you know, now we got to stop, right? Um, but, you know, they, they aren't allowed to do things like this until they have their their stuff done. So their homework's got to be done. They got to be ready, you know, and dressed or, or ready for the situation ahead of them. Um, their room's got to be tidied up, that kind of stuff. There's an expectation that they need to have things looked after. And that is, I think, a good policy to have. Um, because again, they need to know what's expected of them. And that's part of their lesson. That's part of this whole thing. Uh, so when it comes to bed or they've run out of time, which I'm really thankful they ever really kind of get to that point. They aren't typically throwing huge fits unless they're overtired for, you know, they had a big day. Um, I do want them outside more and playing more in the summer, obviously what parent wouldn't. Um, but I think we feel that changing these boundaries could create some sort of confusion when it comes to that. You know, well, you said last week it was fine for this and that, right. And what do you do on rain days and things like that? So, we just kind of keep it the same. And typically our kids wants, want to be outside for the most part anyways, because it's fun. There's toys, there's, there's, you know, it's beautiful out and things like that. And when they come in for their rest or snack and they might play on the switch or sit down with the tablet and watch some YouTube or whatever. And then they'll go back to playing outside once they've cooled down, once they've had their freezies or their, their sandwiches or whatever, and they'll go back to outside. So unless there's really a reason to trap them inside, we're not running up in, into that issue anyways. It's kind of naturally looking after itself. You know, granted today, you know, today uh, was a bit of a nut, nut show here. Was, <laughs> um, we had poor weather all day, uh, thunderstorms, tornadoes just north of us, uh, or well, reported funnel clowns. My, my phone's gone off twice since we started recording, though it says I'm driving my car. Oh, it's hooked up to Bluetooth, look at that. Um, yeah, two times now I've had uh, the government alert go off about the tornadoes um, and their tornado warnings. Like there's, so I don't know if there's been rotation confirmed yet or what. But anyways, I'm still here, so we're good. Um, so you know when we have bad bad days like that, um, th they have the same limits as they do on any other day. But kind of the exception is I, I let them get away with things like we're going to put a movie on. And you guys are going to sit down on the floor and, and make your little fort or whatever it is in your rooms. And we're going to give you a big bowl of popcorn and you're going to watch a movie. And they think it's like it's a huge treat and they associate that with being with a treat. Right. So they don't really, you know, go out of their way to, to 
screw around with that, right? They're like, ooh, this is a treat, so we're going to do this, right? Um, and it doesn't really mess with their their understanding of what their screen time is or anything like that. So, and and it works, and it allows us to add things on a little bit here and there when we need to. And the other thing I find is it's really important to do this stuff together to get involved in what they're doing, right? Uh, so we we have, and most families will do this. We will have the occasional family game night, right? And we're all going to play Mario Party or something like that together. And they, they get a kick out of that, and they, they like being part of our team. And, you know, oh, I'm on Daddy's team, I'm on Mommy's team, and, you know, whatever, right? And we we don't count this against their time, obviously. We're not going, oh, well, you're out of screen time, you're out of turns, bye-bye, good night, kiddo. You know, we don't do anything like that. Um, but we also keep it reasonable. We're not like, oh, it's 11.30 at night, and we're just finishing up this round, it's time to go to bed. You know, we keep it reasonable. And, and that kind of... S- applies for any of the those kind of game nights you know whether it's board games or dice or cards or whatever it's not always a screen but you got to kind of have the same rules right the point is at least as how we have managed to see it is to be consistent and also be understanding of the circumstance and why you may need to change a rule a little bit around that circumstance but it's tricky to do that and maintain consistency but big part is your big rules got to be consistent your main stuff and then the other things can can kind of fluctuate a little bit, right? And go, hey, you're getting away with murder here, kiddo, but you're going to get an extra hour of this or whatever, right? And they know when they're in the back of a car going to grandma's place on the other side of the province that it's perfectly okay to be, um, that they're going to be on their tablet for that five-hour drive or whatever it is. And then they get to the other side and, you know, they're at grandma's house and grandma has exactly zero toys or whatever it is, they can sit there and uh, and you know play on their tablet maybe a little bit longer right like you got to have that little bit of an understanding with them um you know but but on the other hand that understanding goes the other way too right like so like if my oldest is in the middle of playing her dragon game and she's you know in the middle of that boss fight and oh it's bedtime right i'll let her know that her time limit's approaching i'll be like hey kiddo you're almost out of time it's almost ready for bed um you know, finish that battle up, right? And she'll have that success. She'll she'll do that. She'll achieve that thing, mainly because it's you know a really easy game. But uh, she'll she'll do that thing, and she'll be happy about that. And it'll be that accomplishment. And she goes to bed. Now, the only way this works though is if you do the the bedtime shut off thing before bed, really, right? So uh, we always have the the screens off half an hour before bed. That's always been a rule. Half hour before bed, you shut off your screens, right? At the bare minimum, it's half an hour before bed. Should shut off your screens. You know, you get ready, get changed, brush teeth, do all that fun stuff, and and get ready for bed, right? And now sit and read a book or whatever, right? So if we've got to borrow five minutes from that to get that accomplishment, to get that success, that is fine, right? And then you don't run into those, I just want to finish this or I'm almost done this episode or whatever it is arguments, whether it's a screen time thing or whether it's a uh, uh, a video game thing, right? Um, we monitor what they're doing and we're going to end that kind of screen time around when it's finished. The only exception to that is tablets, which uh, they're set up, they automatically lock at these specific times a day or when they reach their limit, whatever happens first, kind of, right? So... You know, and again, this isn't me preaching. This is me just talking about what I found has worked. 
Uh, everybody has found ways that works for their kids. And a lot of people, including ourselves, have found lots of ways that don't. And uh, what tricks that do you guys have, right? That manage to manage your kids' playtime with, with their uh, gaming or their screen time with their tablets or whatever it is, while still letting them enjoy this, right? Let me know what your thoughts are in the comments or on Twitter. If you follow, follow along on Spotify, there's a built-in polling Q&A function in there. I'm going to put this in there as well. Um, and it's right on the episode screen, so you can give us feedback right through Spotify, which is really cool. I didn't know it did that. Anyways, um, now on to games, right? It's been a little bit of a lighter week this week. I've been very busy with some other things happening. And as such, I, I think I only played a couple hours on Tuesday of, of games. I got in um, a little bit of Yakuza Like a Dragon, not a whole lot. Um, I did say I would have a beat this week, and I intended to, but uh, things got stacked up on me and it got a little busier than what I expected. Um, I'm so close to the end of this game. I am so close, but I, I keep on getting distracted. Like that two hours I spent, I spent pretty much the entire time doing Dragon Kart, which is like a go-kart racing mini game because I thought it was fun, and here I am. And the rest of it, yeah, I, pl I played a bunch of Dragon Kart. I'm like, I'm done. I'm, I'm, I'm going to leave doing Dragon Kart. And then I started collecting bugs in the park. And uh, yeah, I did that until I was like, I got to go to bed. <laughs> so yeah, good times. Anyways, um, so I keep on getting distracted by all these things. Uh, like I, I practically own all the businesses already in the, in the business thing. Um, my carts are all leveled up in, in uh, Dragon Kart and I've done three. I don't know if there's more than that, actually. I've done three of the cops, like the championships. I think there's another one I have to do yet. Anyways, and I've done like almost all the part-time hero stuff. I've caught the bugs and uh, delivered the food and, and beat up all the people that they've beaten up. Um, I think I have almost all the Tojo clan uh, crests, which is kind of cool. Um, so pretty much all of it. Like, it's, it's an amazing game. It's so fun to play. And it keeps me entertained so much. I... You know, I, I just love it. Um, I intended on doing a bunch of Zelda yesterday, actually, but my appointments ran longer than I kind of expected, and I had some other stuff to do. So, you know, that didn't happen. Um, you know, it was the last day of school, and I really wanted to be there to pick up the kids from school, as I don't really get to do that much anymore. Um, I'm not allowed out in the sun a whole lot, and uh, and that's kind of like the peak time for me not to be outside. And, uh, you know, I broke the rules and went to pick up the kids from school and um, it, was, it was better. You know, it was fun. It was enjoyable. Uh, next week's going to be probably a bit of a better week. Um, I only have one doctor's appointment next week. You know, I, I went from having six this week to having one next week. So that's pretty good. Um, and it's wide open. Um, my treatments are lighter next week. Obviously, I have the one appointment, and that's it. I don't have uh, I don't have my daily radiation. I don't have my daily chemo anymore. That's all done for now, and I get a reprieve until at least the seventeenth of July. So I got a couple weeks off where I get to rest. And I thought I would have a couple good weeks here, but uh, according to my doctor, the pain and and all that is actually going to get worse for two more weeks. And then I'm going to go see a doctor about injecting me with poison every day. So you know, fun. Um, but that's the goal, right? You got to piss out the cancer. That's what they say, right? The chemotherapy uh, kills all the cancer cells in your body and makes them leave your body by how? 
peeing out the cancer. So piss it out. That, that's my goal here. I want to get rid of it. Um, anyways, uh, that just about does it for the week. So you can find more of us on Twitter by following at Ameren Studios or on YouTube. Our link is in the audio description of the show if you're listening on, on the audio version. If you do watch us on YouTube and want to bring us with you on the go, you can find us on Spotify, Apple, Google, or wherever you find your pods. I have been Warren. You have been an amazing audience, the best audience I could ever ask for. Thank you for putting up with my ramblings. Thank you for putting up with my horrible hair covered by a cool hat. Thank you for joining me. See you next week. Goodbye. <laughs>